1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but
0: let me play devil's advocate
1: here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome sports fans, this is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, that's right, we are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get a part of the show. It is SportsGarden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N as well. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Also, you can find us on more than 100 stations across the country every Sunday morning on WannaBet Weekend Edition. Go check us out as well at SportsGarden.com. All right, guys, look, we are turning into a different area here in the sports calendar season, in the sports betting season, and that is, there's really just one sport to bet on, and that is baseball, right? I mean, baseball is there. Now, I know that we do sit back and we have um, some golf going on, and you can do some of the lower sports, but generally speaking to my, my listeners right now, it is going to be the four major sports and the two big college sports. Well, the only thing we have is Major League Baseball right now. So from a betting perspective, I really would like to sit down and take a deep dive into Major League Baseball. We'll get into some of the trends that we have, some of the big totals, what teams I should be watching right now, and I want to get into what you can kind of be playing with besides just Major League Baseball, It's straight plays and totals and things of that nature. So we'll get into some prop player talk as well. I do want to sit back and really have a conversation about that. I will touch on a little NBA since it was some NBA news. A lot of guys opting out, opting in. What does it mean for futures plays? There's always NFL stories, and we didn't get a resolution on the Watson story this week, but I want to kind of touch on that and see where that's heading because I do have some news on that, which will impact the rest of the league as well. So we're going to get into all of it, but I definitely want to start off just by having a conversation today about the time of season that we're in because I see this every year and I see a a, a lot of mistakes being made. So we have multiple different situations that can happen here as a sports better. First of all, let me lay out the obvious. And as a sports better, it's obvious. I think we all know this, but if you don't, well, here's the reality. Most people in the world, they bet, well, in America, they bet on really the NFL massively heavy. Most people, that are betting on the NFL, don't even go across sports. They really just stay with the NFL. But you see the downturn and the volume really just go in completely into the tank after the Super Bowl. Now it picks back up right around March Madness. You get a little slight, uh, a, a big uptick there. Then it goes down pretty hard. And then you get a slight uptick during the NBA playoffs, during the NHL playoffs. And then it crashes to earth late June, right about now. Because the only thing people have is Major League Baseball, people are afraid to bet Major League Baseball, and that really is what the sports books are asking for. Now, I've done shows on this, I've done uh, critiques on this, I've been talking about this uh, in in my career, pretty much since I've begun my career. The reason why people don't like to bet Major League Baseball is not because you can't win at it; it's because they just don't understand how to kind of go about it. But I will tell you this: just look at what the sports books do. The sports books limit the amount of money that you can bet on Major League Baseball more than any other sport on a walk-up basis. So that will tell you right there exactly what you need to know. It will tell you everything that you need to know about can you win at Major League Baseball. The answer is yes. Now, very quickly, because I've said this before, and then I want to deep dive into this. Very quickly, just think about the the worst team in Major League Baseball is still going to win 60 games or or so. The worst team is still going to win 60 games. You have to assume out of those 60 wins, okay, so... Uh, 60 and 100. Out of those 60 wins, they're going to be the underdogs in, in 50 to 55 of those games. I mean, they're going to be underdogs consistently. Out of those 60 wins, you're also going to have at least 20, 25 maybe, maybe 30 wins where they are heavy underdogs, meaning you're getting back plus 160, plus 170, plus 180. So now do the math. You can win on losing teams. And that is really something to pay attention to. But you can win on winning teams as well. A a good baseball team is going to win, a really good baseball team is going to win 100 games. Those 100 wins, out of those 100 wins, they'll probably be favored in 80 or so. And and those 60 losses where they're heavy underdogs, that's going to come back and bite you, but you can still make money on them. So I'm not telling you to go flat out bet the best team in the league or the worst team in the league. I'm just trying to kind of give you an understanding that you can win at Major League Baseball. But what's great about Major League Baseball, more than any other sport, is there are statistical anomalies. There are matchups issues. There are head-to-head. I don't know how you guys go out there and make your bets. Now, if you've listened to my show for the last four years here, we've sat back and I've laid out exactly what we should be doing and how you should be doing it. Use everything to your disposal. Use trend betting. Use streaks. Use uh, uh, all the data that you can have available. But in Major League Baseball, more than anything else, collectively people get hot, teams get hot, you're seeing the ball well, you like this ballpark, you like the background, you're good against this pitcher. People use that to their advantage. And that is really where you can use these things to your advantage to kind of gauge where your team is. And not only your team, you could start to get in a prop place where your team is as well. If your team is really going through a funk and they can't kind of string things together, well, you know, maybe they're tired. Maybe they, they had bad flights. Maybe they had, uh, you know, it's a bad road trip. Look at that. Maybe they're just in a funk and their hitting coach can't get them out of it. Well, ride that. Ride that streak. We've seen that in all sports. You see the teams get hot or not. In Major League Baseball, it takes so long for the books to adjust to it. I tell the story all the time that Zach Granke, when he first came up, he was the underdog in uh, him and Obadol Jimenez in, in basically the same time period. They were underdogs in ten games in a row, although they were leading the league and both went to the All-Star game and leading the league in the ER in ERA and winning nearly every game. They were underdog, underdog, underdog. Finally, I think Granky was like a 115 favorite one game. And 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 people just continued to bet against him. Well, back then, why? Because it was the Royals and it was Granky. I mean, we've seen these things happen. There's always a pitcher to grab onto. Nobody's really paying attention to. Uh, rookies come up, and rookies come up with no track record, and people just basically fade rookies. That's what they do. You don't have to do that. So, I want to kind of lay that out before going into the major league baseball season and, and kind of taking a look to understand that streaks do matter. We don't solely go on streaks. No, nope, we're never going to just solely go on streaks and and say, okay, well, this team is doing well. This team's not doing well. You have to absolutely take into account what kind of price you're paying, but it does matter what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, a team getting hot or not or their bats working or or whatnot. So in Major League Baseball, no, no, no normally I would go and I would talk about all the against-the-spread trends. Major League Baseball, you don't have to worry about that. You are really sitting here and you're just getting out a winning percentage. I mean, that, that, that's really all there is. You know, the Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers are the one, two, three teams in the league. Uh, you know, Mets, San Diego. Yeah, well, they're going to be one, two, three where they are, Oakland, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Washington, Chicago, they're all bad. But I do want to talk about the over-unders because the over-unders do make some sense. The over-unders, though, can throw people off. First of all, think about this. To be a winning professional sports better, you have to hit 53%. Don't get me into the the, the decimals and everything. You got to hit 53%. The reality is, to really, you know, make some good coin in this game, you got to hit about 55%. And and some of the, uh, basically the best in the business are hitting about 55%. You got to hit about 55%. The best over under percentage in the league for overs 56.8%. 56.8. Now, the unders are a little bit different and we'll we'll get into that. So, let's look at the top team in the league at giving you overs. Philadelphia Phillies Number one team, Cincinnati right after them, the Mets after them, Toronto, Atlanta, Milwaukee, St. Louis, that's it, guys. There are seven teams that are making you money, and I would argue that Milwaukee and St. Louis really aren't. They're at, uh, they're at 52.8 and 52.7 percentage, so they're not really. And then even if you want to go with Atlanta and Toronto, um, you know both at 53%, I'm not sure. I would say that there are – I would feel confident saying that there are five teams in the league – that might make you money. There are really only three over teams in the league making you money. This is an under year, and you could see the under. You could see the, the the absolute percentages of unders. But let's look at these. We'll look at these these teams here. First of all, the Philadelphia Phillies, number one team to the over, a little surprising, right? A little surprising because they have good pitchers. Aaron Nola is a good pitcher. Zach Wheeler is a good pitcher. A little surprising. Because Philadelphia doesn't have the greatest hitting. I mean, you know, Bryce Harper goes down and they're they're saying sell the team. This is a weird anomaly. Or is it? Because Philadelphia is now on their third closer this year. Philadelphia's Corey Knable had been pulled out of the game. um, And now he's lost his closer role. Brad Hand tried his role there. He's having an effective year. I don't think he's really the closer. Uh, For whatever reason, they don't want to give Dominguez the job. So it's Philadelphia's bullpen that's really a problem. And Philadelphia hits in bunches. So when Schwarber and uh, Castellanos and Harper get hot, well, they they hit in bunches. I look at this and I go, I can't see this sustaining. I don't think Philadelphia is going to continue to be an over team, specifically without Bryce Harper. But the prices, I've looked back at the prices, and the prices really haven't adjusted. So you might be able to make it a little bit more of money here on the under on Philly, kind of coming back to the norm. Cincinnati's number two. This makes much more sense, doesn't it? Cincinnati is a team that has some weapons offensively. Uh, they have a terrible bullpen. You name the closer right now. It's Hunter Strickland, and he's got a 1-5 whip, okay? He was named the closer uh, three, four days ago, and he's got a 1-5 whip. Why? Why? Because Sims is out and Diaz is out. I mean, their their collection of bullpen is ridiculous. And their starting pitching isn't very good and also doesn't go deep into games. There's a reason why Cincinnati and everybody's calling up for Luis Castillo because your season's over and you're probably in a big rebuild, so give us who you can. Cincinnati, though, right now is the number two team as far as overs go. I love betting Cincy overs. I've been betting them all year. Cincy overs are fantastic. Do I think the trend continues? That's the big question. Yeah, I absolutely do. I still think their bullpen's a mess. I think putting Hunter Strickland out there with a 1.5 ERA, uh, a 1.5 whip and an over 4 ERA is going to bite them at the back end of the bullpen. Now, their bullpen guys are getting healthy. I heard Diaz is coming back this week. I get that their bullpen can kind of stabilize here. But overall, since Cincy Overs are going to continue to be the thing. since Cincy Overs are going to continue to rule the day. I like that. And then the Mets Overs. And this is the one I kind of wanted to dig into. The Mets overs are unusual. The New York Mets obviously have Pete Alonso in the middle of the lineup, uh, while Lindor doesn't have great across-the-board numbers. His RBIs are off the charts. His runs are, are just absolutely fantastic. So they have a couple of dangerous guys in the lineup. The reason why the Mets have the over is leaning on that offense, sure, but I also believe that people look at the New York Mets and they overrate a lot of these pitchers. Now, Scherzer's been injured. DeGrom hasn't come back yet. But even a guy like Taiwan Walker, he pitches effectively and then gives it over the bullpen. It's not great. Chris Bassett, they brought in, he's got a little over a four ERA. All right, that's okay. Guys like Trevor Williams have had to pitch for them. Carlos Carrasco, they're all okay. And being okay, I mean, what are you asking for okay? They're going to give you five, six innings, give up three runs. I mean, that, that's what they're going to do. Now, if the Mets are out there scoring, four or five runs a game, and you know, the bullpen gives up. All of a sudden, you get a nine-run game. So the Mets make sense. I think the Mets will continue until Scherzer and DeGrom get back. I think the Mets are going to continue to be an over team. The other teams are Toronto, the obvious over. Their pitching is weaker than we've seen in years, and their hitting is just dynamic. Atlanta, same thing. Their pitching is not getting it done, but their offense is clicking. Milwaukee's extremely surprising as an over team, uh, but I, I'm counting that with just because of all their injuries. Now, Woodruff's back now. Uh, you add him with Burns. Peralta probably won't be back until September, but Ashby is coming back. I, I think Milwaukee turns around and becomes a, an under team real soon. And St. Louis, the same thing. St. Louis's offense is off the charts. Paul Goldschmidt is absolutely just go, going nuts. Uh, I think a lot of that has to come back to, down to earth, and I think their pitching will get better as the summer goes on. How about unders, though? And this is where it gets interesting, because 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 teams are making you money betting on unders this year. Now, I don't really want to include Texas at 59.2. I don't really want to include Baltimore, who's gotten spectacular bullpen pitching. I mean, two or three guys in their bullpen have under two ERAs. They're spectacular in their bullpen. I'm not going to really include them, but I do want to mention, I think that Baltimore stays under them. Tampa Bay, barely at 53.6. I'm not including them for an under. The Yankees, we know how great their staff is going to be. That Yankee team is not going to stay under, guys. Tyon looked bad this week in the early innings and then kind of settled down. It was against Oakland. It was at home. I don't expect Jamison Tyon to be this good. I think Luis Severino is going to come back to earth a little bit as the innings start catching up with him. Jordan Montgomery didn't look great this week early on as well. They're going to start to stumble a little bit. The Yankees' hitting is just absolutely on fire. Stanton's going to have the the quietest 40 home run season ever. So I think that they're a team on the other side of this thing. Oakland, same thing. Oakland's been a lot of unders. Why? Well, because of Cole Irvin. He's been pitching really well. Paul Blackburn. I don't expect these guys to be on the team. Montas, San Diego, and Los Angeles are both under 55%. I could see that lasting. So, teams over 55%. Boston, as an under team, okay, I get it. Their hitting has been kind of uh, disappointing. I don't want to say totally. They've gotten great, great contributions from unusual sources in that bullpen. Boston, again, I think that they're going to eventually be an over team. Arizona, Arizona does not have good front line pitching, but their hitting can't get out of their own way. They're going to start bringing up some youngsters. They're going to start to play more over games. I don't think that lasts. Pittsburgh, this is unusual. The, the, the Pirates being at 56% towards the under is a little unusual. And you can say, Tom, that lineup is terrible. But their pitching is atrocious. Or should it have been? I mean, Contreras looks really good. There are spurts where Brubacher looks good. They do have a very good bullpen. But look at this for the next week. Um, Their bullpen is now injured. Okay, Bednar went down. Their starting pitching is kind of starting to come back to earth, right? Jose Quintana is not a, a two ERA type of guy. I think Pittsburgh could start getting some overs. And I do like their hitting, by the way. Diego Castillo is batting like 180, but he's got eight home runs. Um, they brought up O'Neal Cruz. He should give a boost to everybody. Kebron Hayes is a good, solid player. Brian Reynolds went nuts with three home runs this week. I think Pittsburgh's a good over-better team. The Dodgers, they are at 56%, 56% to the under. That makes a lot of sense. The Dodgers' hitters are scrapping. Their pitching is still pretty effective, and this is without Walker Bueller. And then the two teams that are making us the most money on the unders are good, solid under teams. I mean, very solid under teams. We're talking about all these other teams, 55 56%. Detroit, 63% to the under. <clears throat> That's a big number. I think people are shocked that Tarek Skubal is as good as he is. I think people are shocked that a bullpen with Will Vest and Chafin and Soto closing it out and, uh, and Alex Lang. I think people don't know those names. The Detroit bullpen's rather good. Their numbers are fantastic this year. And Fulmer, I can't mention him. Uh can't forget to mention him. The Detroit Tigers' bullpen is absolutely loaded this year, and they're pitching effectively well. Their starters are keeping them in the game. And then on the other side, look, you have the youngsters are struggling. I know Riley Green came up hitting the ground running, and he's, he's looking really good. He's got no power so far this year. You look at um, you know Torkelson has just been atrocious since coming up. I think he turns it on eventually. But I still think that I can bank on Detroit being an under team from here on out because of the bullpen that no one's talking about, because of a bullpen that nobody's giving credit to, but because of a bullpen that really is effectively well. They're playing really well. And I do think that that is the main component there. And then the biggest under team is a solid 66%. The best team to bet on, if you're betting on a total, is the Houston Astros. Houston Astros hitting over 66% to the under. And you go, well, why is that? It is shocking when you have guys like Altuve and Bregman and Jordan Alvarez crushing the ball and, and Tucker. It's a little surprising. But you go and you look at their starting pitching, it's been fantastic. I mean, Verlander is the obvious name, but he's going to get a lot of unders no matter what. And it doesn't matter what number you said. He pitched against the Mets this week. The number was six and a half out there in a lot of places. It was a flat three for the first five innings, and he pitched a shutout, 2 nothing. So that you can, you can know that the prices are going to be bad, and you can still get the under. So I think that Houston comes back to earth. They're not going to last at 66%. But in the short term, without Jordan Alvarez, I could see this lasting or going up. Detroit, Detroit's the team I'd be betting on. I still think that they stay in this range. I think that Pittsburgh is a good bet against. There's no way that they're going to be an under team at 56% when the season ends. I would start betting some Pittsburgh overs. That makes a lot of sense. I think the Yankee overs are going to start coming in, although it's an elevated line. I think that that's a a good team to sort of target. And I do think that the Milwaukee Unders are probably a good team to target. And you want to kind of stay. With Cincinnati, when you're talking about totals and you're talking about what are we looking at in the short term and in the long term. Long term, a lot of these numbers are going to adjust. Long term, I don't think we're going to have anybody at 66% on an over under. But short term, we are looking, talking about this week and we're talking about pitching matchups and whatnot. Guys, short term matters as well. So pay attention to that. All right. I wanted to talk about that, get into it. When I come back, though, how we can make some money on things besides just straight totals. Just straight team wins. I want to get into prop plays. Major League Baseball prop plays are something that can make us a lot of money. It has been making me a lot of money for a lot of a long time. I'm going to give you a couple of nuggets, a couple of guys to watch, and really specifically why Major League Baseball prop plays are so profitable if you're paying attention. Now, you got to do your homework, but I've done quite a bit for you. So we'll talk about that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And now, back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Brings us to the World Series odds, and sitting at the top, we have the Dodgers and Yankees at plus four fifty. The Houston Astros are plus six fifty. So are the New York Mets. The Atlanta Braves come in at eleven to one with the Toronto Blue Jays. San Diego is thirteen to one. The Milwaukee Brewers are sixteen to one. Twenty-five to one, you can get the White Sox at, and you can still get the San Francisco Giants at a big number at thirty to one. That is what are the odds? Now I have to tell you a couple of eye-raising ones here. Um, For me, you start to look at the the World Series odds. and I always look right around midseason, and we are right around midseason right now. Most of the teams have played, while I'm recording this, most of the teams are playing about their 80th game or so. So you're talking about we're a game off of midseason. So we're in midseason. Now, the Yankees being plus 450 make a lot of sense when you're talking about the Houston Astros right behind them, sure. Mets, Milwaukee. The Dodgers... The Dodgers are one and a half games up on the San Diego Padres, entering a three-game series with the San Diego Padres, and they are the World Series favorites in the entire league, in the entire major leagues, not not even the National League. They they may be—I mean, you could look at San Diego, by the way, at plus 230 to win the division, but the Dodgers may be a wild card team, and they have the best number. Well, they have the best number for a couple of reasons, and you have to dig into the reasons why. First of all, Clayton Kershaw missed a lot of time. Second of all, you look at Walker Bueller missing some time. He definitely will be back for the playoff push. The Dodgers have also dealt with a slew of injuries in that bullpen, including Daniel Hudson recently going down. Uh, you, you lost Tommy Canely. Not that he's a huge addition, but he was. Blake Trinan gone. So they've lost setup man, setup man, setup man. They've been a little snake bitten. And the one thing you know about the Dodgers, if you're going to make a bet on the Los Angeles Dodgers, the one thing you assuredly know about the Los Angeles Dodgers, without a shadow of a doubt, is that at the end of the day, guys, the Dodgers will go buy what they go what they need. They, they will go buy whatever they need to go make this push. But I think laying 450 is nuts in this spot. How can you lay 450 with a team that's literally gunning for a, a, a potential wild card after this weekend? They might not be a first-place team. And, and the leading all the way, I mean, come on. You know, you look at this and you go, you got to be kidding me. 450 guys leading the, the major leagues? Uh, that just tells you the sheer volume of attracted money that the Dodgers are gonna, expecting to get. The trading deadline will absolutely be the boost. And you're looking at the Dodgers and you're going, they're connected to uh, to – you know, Mane, or I'm sorry, uh, Montas in Oakland. They're connected to Luis Castillo. They're connected to quite a few players, a bunch of bats, maybe Daniel Bard in the bullpen. They're connected to quite a few major improvements that they need. But you're speculating at plus 450. You're hoping the Dodgers get that done at 450. And even if they do, Even if it all comes around, right? Even if it all comes around where they get some improved pitching, they get some improvement in the bullpen, uh, they start to get a little bit healthy. Even if that all comes around, are you fully confident that entering the playoffs, they're a better team than the Mets? That they're a better team than Milwaukee, St. Louis? They're a better team than, than the Padres in their own division because the Padres have guys coming back, namely Fernando Tatis, that should give that team a boost as well. So I think the Dodgers being plus 450 is nuts. I really do. I, I, I don't know how anybody could go out there and convince themselves that the Los Angeles Dodgers would be plus 450 to win the World Series uh, heading into July. That's a crazy line. And that is an updated line right now. That is a crazy line. The Dodgers are a good team. The Dodgers are not instilling the confidence that I need to see to lay 450. I, I don't know if anybody's laying their conference at 450, but the Dodgers are certainly not there at 450. I think a lot of there's a lot of holes there, and I think a lot of what the Dodgers' number is is the sheer volume of speculation the speculation that they will improve, the speculation that they will get healthy, the speculation that Walker Bueller will come back and hit the ground running. Because I'll tell you right now, if the Dodger team that it is right now and this Los Angeles Dodgers team goes out onto the field right now, they're. they're they're a second place. I mean, they're barely holding on to first now, and I don't see them doing anything in the playoffs right now. I do think that they do improve. I do think that they make some moves. I do think that uh, they do get healthier. But I don't know. There's no way 450. That's crazy. The Padres at 13-1 to are interesting. because, Like I said, by the end of this weekend, the San Diego Padres could be first place in the West. I mean, they have the pitching advantages, by the way. But they should be first place in the West. They also are getting back Fernando Tatis. You can't overlook that. San Diego is a team that puts out a weak, pathetic lineup at times. There was a lineup the other day, and I tweeted this out, where four of the players on the team were batting under 200. I I, I can't make this up. But they also are getting ridiculous contributions from all kinds of areas. Jake Croninsworth is second in the NL in the month of June in RBIs and runs. I mean, he went absolutely nuts. He's gone through two t- stretches during this year where he's one for 50, once over for 25, once for 1 to 25. I mean— You start to see what this team could be if they get that spark, and maybe that spark is Fernando Tatis. It's very possible. But a lot of the San Diego players are underachieving, yet they have a chance to be in first place. A lot of it is because of that just absolutely fantastic starting pitching. Joe Musgrove has been Cy Young-worthy until last start. Um, So you look at San Diego at 13-1. to I mean, I kind of like it. I just don't know if Fernando Tatis comes in here and disrupts things, to be honest with you. I don't know if he could, he might be a guy that, look, he's going to be fantastic on the field, but they got something working. San Francisco, I won't take that. Even at 30-1, to one, they don't have enough. They don't have enough hitting. um is, is just not that guy. Jock Peterson, he's going to be an all-star. But I don't expect Jock Peterson to sit around and hit 37 to 40 home runs at the end of the year. I think he slows down considerably. I don't know how many innings you could get out of Carlos Rodon. I'm not sure. I mean, Webb I feel confident in. I'm not sure I love the bullpen. The bullpen has faltered this year. Uh, De León doesn't look great. Rogers looks bad in spurts. San Francisco's just not a team at thirty to one. I'm even. I'm even attempting to go near. Uh, if you notice, there's no Philadelphia there. Obviously, with Bryce Harper out, how can anybody go anywhere near Philadelphia with Bryce Harper out? I mean, even with Bryce Harper in, maybe you don't want to go near. him, But you can't go near that. Atlanta eleven to one. I think that's mighty aggressive. Now I get it. Atlanta has been. Red hot lately, right? They're seven and three over the last ten. They have been on fire, but I don't, I don't see the eleven to one being the value there. You look at the New York Mets, what they've continued to do. They're only three games up. The Mets have taken a small, small slide, but they get Max Scherzer back this week. Jacob Degrom is about a month away. They're saying that's going to be a huge injection into their pitching staff that people are not paying attention to, and and I don't think you could lay eleven to one, even even getting eleven to one back on a team that is a potential card team, and that's the Atlanta Braves right now. Uh, they lose Kenley Jansen. I think that's going to be a hindrance for them. We don't know how long. Jansen has a heart problem. He's had a heart problem multiple times during his career. He wasn't able to travel to Colorado when he was with uh, the Dodgers for a period there because he has a heart problem. So we don't know. And you can't speculate. There's not a sports injury that you could kind of just speculate on and say, oh, he's going to be fine. So I don't know if I'm going anywhere near Atlanta. I, I, I don't. I still don't think Ozzy Albies is right. I, I'm just not going near Atlanta, even at 11 to 1. The New York Mets. Mets are an interesting scenario because they are 650. They are the fourth best team or the third best team tied with Houston, uh, according to odds here. They have had a rough string, lost three in a row, lost five in the last six. Uh, they have a rough string of games here. I understand that. But Scherzer coming back is just a massive impact. You also not only have Scherzer coming back and potential DeGrom probably before August, which gives them that big jolt, but you look at the owner, and isn't it like the Dodgers? I mean, don't you have to look at Uncle Stevie, right? That's what the the Mets fans love to call him. Don't you have to look at Uncle Stevie and say, if the Mets are close, they're going to make a push? If the Mets are close, they're going to make a buy? They're going to go after guys? You have to, if you're able to sit back and put the Dodgers in, at plus 450 as the number one team in baseball uh, odds-wise to win the World Series because you're going to speculate that their aggressive ownership is going to go out there and make a deal, how do you not do the same exact thing for the richest man in baseball and Steve Cohen? You have to go out there. And Steve Cohen, who wants to make an impact, Steve Cohen, who came on wanted to do all these great things, and he doesn't even get the back headlines because what the Yankees are doing. I think the New York Mets are that speculative team. Now, at plus 650, it's still a little rich for my blood. Until I see DeGrom coming back. But look, give me a playoff. If If you have plus 650, and it's a fair line. If you have plus 650 and you have Scherzer game one, DeGrom game two, Stevie Cohen goes out there and makes some improvements to that team. At plus 650, you're feeling great. If I knew there was a healthy Scherzer and DeGrom, I would take them almost over anybody in the field, and you're getting plus 650 back. That might be a little value there. Then we go to the central where you have the Brewers and Cardinals. They're both battling it out. Brewers look good. Brewers won four in a row. Brewers won seven of ten. Brewers just swept the Rays. Woodruff is back for a guy that missed that much time. He's already got six, uh, six wins already. They're saying Peralta could be back by September 1st. Ashby should be back this week. You're getting contributions for... Uh, Luis Urias there, the second baseman, now turned third baseman. Colton Wong is coming back. Christian Yelich is starting to find his form. He's a good leadoff hitter there. Willie Adamas' peripheral numbers look great. He's going to start tacking on. Uh, Rowdy Tellez, what, yard again? I mean, Milwaukee is starting to turn around and be the team that I thought Milwaukee would be. And what's interesting is that Milwaukee, who's always been a dominant home team, they're actually only four games over 500 at home. They're doing all their damage away. That should correct, and Milwaukee should get better at home. You have the Milwaukee Brewers, and I told you I took them before the year. Their odds are about the same. You have the Milwaukee Brewers at 16 to 1 odds right now. I think it's a great bet because if you can get a healthy Corbin Burns, number one, I'm not sure, and yes, I'm including Scherzer, and yes, I'm including Kershaw, and and yes, I'm including even Cy Young, Joe Musgrove. I'm not sure there's a better number one in baseball, specifically in the National League, but in baseball, better than Corbin Burns when he's on his game. Corbin Burns very well might be the best pitcher in baseball. The best number two in baseball very well might be Brandon Woodruff. And if Freddie Kerr Peralta comes back to the three that we saw last year, it's dynamic. There is no better closer in baseball. So they got the best starter in baseball. They have the best closer in baseball. It's always been about the hitting, and the hitting is kind of coming around. St. Louis was not on that list, and St. Louis is about 33-1. to That's that's shocking to me, stunningly shocking, because St. Louis is a good team. Paul Goldschmidt, not going to keep up this pace, we know, but Paul Goldschmidt's absolutely outstanding. Arenado is right there. The Cardinals are a team I'd be buying on right now. I like Wienwright. I know that people don't love their starting pitching, and maybe that's kind of a, a deterrent on them. They don't love the starters. But how do you not love, just absolutely love, what this bullpen's been able to do and what their potential is? Hazley is doing Clay Holmes-type things. Gallegos is there. I mean, St. Louis right now is just pure value. It is pure value. And I know that they don't win on the road. They do all their damage at home. They're five hundred team on the road. That there are things to not like about St. Louis, but it's a professional organization. You know what you're going to get out of the Cardinals. How about in the American League? You know, I again, I don't think anybody's taking Texas or the Angels serious. By the odds wise here, nobody's taking um, really anybody from the East Series except for the Yankees. I mean, Toronto. Well, Toronto's eleven to one. So here's an interesting: thing. Toronto's eleven to one. Tampa Bay and Boston are more than thirty to one. Both of them. By the end of the week, it could be in front of them. People like Toronto because they they're a, a fun, exciting team. Uh, they have some interesting guys, but a guy like Alex Manoa, guys, he's not going to be pitching 180 innings this year because he's a rookie. He's not going to be pitching you know that that 180 innings going into the playoffs. I think Toronto's a terrible bet at 11 to one. The Red Sox, you could get value out of the Red Sox right now. The Red Sox have been red hot. They've won eight of ten. The Red Sox are back into the standings. There's still 13 games back of the Yankees, but they've leapfrogged Tampa, they've leapfrogged Toronto. The Boston Red Sox makes a lot of sense because again, here we go. Aggressive ownership, will the Boston Red Sox jolt up and all of a sudden become a player at the break? I think they can. Tampa Bay, I don't see I don't like the Tampa Bay and I understand why Tampa Bay's not listed here because Tampa Bay has had a lot of injuries to their bullpen, but they just don't have that frontline starter um, to go to go get that frontline starter. Here's the thing, though, with Tampa Bay. They don't need to because they just got Shane Baz back. And here we go. We talked about Scherzer and DeGrom. We talked about uh, Woodruff and Burns. Shane McClanahan and Shane Baz in the playoffs, 1-2. There's nobody that could touch them in the American League on paper. I mean, that, that is a dynamic, dynamic 1-2. They might shock some people. And then, of course, the Yankees. Yankees plus 450 is exactly where they should be. Yankees have the best record in baseball by a rather large margin. They have almost 10 more wins uh, than the New York Mets, and they do have 10 more wins than the Dodgers. The Yankees should be the prohibitive favorites. They have everything working for them. Their, their pitching is fantastic. Garrett Cole silencing every critic possible. Nestor Cortez-Montgomery, their hitting is out of control. Their bullpen is great. I think the thing that you look at with the New York Yankees is that a lot of these guys are not going to put on those innings. You can't expect Jordan Montgomery to keep up this pace with those innings. You can't expect Nestor Cortez, who's never pitched even hundred innings to continue this pace. You know, Luis Severino is coming off of an injury. We already know that Luis Severino is going to be on an innings limit. So, If you want to be negative Nancy with the New York Yankees, it's going to be, sure, Garrett Cole's going to give you about 200 innings. Who else is going to be pitching into September? Do they go to a six-man rotation? Do they go make a move for that guy? Because Cortez doesn't have the track record. Montgomery's been pitching over his head. Tyon is an injury risk. He's consistently been an injured guy. Luis Severino is on an innings limit. Um, They're going to need that guy. But if you started the playoffs today, plus 450 is an insult to the Yankees, if you have the Dodgers at plus 450. How about in the Central, where the only team I mentioned is the third-place Chicago White Sox, who are sitting back at 25-1? to Now, we've talked about this, guys. We have talked about it at length, where the Chicago White Sox, right? Um, You look at the Chicago White Sox, and you go, they are that team that is going to just get volume, I mean, you know that they're just going to get volume betting. Chicago market drives them. But I do think that people are looking at that team with a lot of potential. You know, Lance Lynn's coming back and people coming back from injuries. Uh, Eloy Jimenez uh, should be back eventually. Liam Hendricks, they're a dynamic closer. But I think it's funny that they're the team that's listed here. um, And uh, Cleveland is not two games back. And Minnesota is in first place. Now, I... I think the problem with that is that how can you put confidence in Cleveland? Cleveland, this is to win the World Series. This is not to play in the Central. This is not to play tough. This is not to be a, a good team. No. This is to win the World Series. Nobody's going to expect the Cleveland Guardians, even with a healthy Shane Bieber, to get there. They have a nice bullpen. Their hitting is interesting. It's aggressive. But they're, really, their depth of pitching is just not going to be able to get them there. Minnesota is a lot of the same way. Now, Minnesota can be aggressive and go make a move, but I don't think you're looking at Chris Archer um, as being the guy. Ryan will be on a, an innings limit. You look at a lot of their pitching, it's it's pitching, young pitching, which is great in June. It, young pitching is great in June. July, you can sustain it. August, it starts getting a little weak. September, you don't love that young pitching. So I think that that's the problem with Minnesota and why they are not at the top of the list or pretty close, even though they are in first place in the Central. They have worse odds to win the World Series than the team that is in third place in the Central. That's the certainly tell you something. And again, while they can make a move here, they're not known as an aggressive franchise. They're not a franchise that is aggressively going to pursue, and they're not going to be in on the top names. They'll probably make some moves, and it'll be Minnesota Twin kind of moves, which are minor moves. Don't also think that the public doesn't realize that Minnesota just consistently fails in the playoffs their entire existence, it seems. So that'll be on their minds as well. And then the Houston Astros. Houston's an interesting plus 650 as well. Um, Houston and the Mets really are those two teams because Houston went out there and even though the Yankees got the better of them and, and Aaron Judge got the better of them, overall, Houston showed the Yankees that they can play with them. And in a lot of respects, Houston showed the Yankees that they are better than them. And the Houston Astros have a lot of good things working for them right now. The question marks are now the health, all of a sudden the health of Jordan Alvarez. But let's just assume that he comes back and he's okay. There's no question in the hitting at all. Altuve's having a reju- rejuvenated year. Uh, Alvarez looks like an MVP candidate. Tucker, absolutely, maybe the quietest 30-30 guy that we're going to have ever. You look at the hitting is fantastic. Even the, even Pena, the rookie, and Bregman is coming around. Hitting is not a question. You look at the starting pitching. Well, the starting pitching, it was all, always about how many innings can they pitch because they are young or they are coming off an injury like Verlander. Verlander's a true ace in the playoffs, though. I mean, is there anybody that you would take right now in a head-to-head matchup and be confident over Verlander in the playoffs? certainly not me. And their young starting pitching is really coming around and looking good. They also get the boost of McCullers back, who, you know, by the time the playoffs come around, he'll be ready, amped up and ready to go. And you got to like what you like out of him. And then the bullpen. Ryan Presley has a four ERA, but he's got a successful track record. I think he's going to turn it around. And they have guys setting up for him, like Montero, who looks absolutely lights out. 6.50. For the Mets and 650 for the Astros is looking like a value play, even at 650. All right, guys, I did get ahead of myself and went into kind of a World Series tangent here. Um, That is in the future, guys, but let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the the future. future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future, we're going to take a look at the NFL. Like I said, NFL drives all of the news, so I wanted to talk about this. The odds are out that the first NFL coach to be fired will be, well, according to the odds, Matt Rule, the Carolina Panthers, 3-1. Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys, 5-1. Pete Carroll, 6-1. Seattle Seahawks, 7-1. It's Frank Reich of the Indianapolis Colts. And 8-1 is Ron Rivera from the Washington, yeah, say it with me, guys, commanders. That is Bet to the future. I did want to talk a little bit about uh, the NFL, and I was hoping to get the Deshaun Watson case situated and what was going on there. Uh, it just keeps increasingly looking like Deshaun Watson's going to be – gonna, it's going to be a long time. I, I, it's Increasingly more looking like it might be the entire year. Uh, Deshaun Watson will not play for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you're not going to be able to blame the coach there. But let's take a look at this first coach to be fired odds. Because I think it is an interesting scenario. First of all, in order to be fired, you've got to either be absolutely brutal, I mean completely brutal, or you've got to be a team that just does not live up to expectations. So let's look at the potential. Look, Buffalo is not going to fire their their head coach almost no matter what. They could go like 0-16, probably not fire. Uh, Miami just made a new hire. Belichick's not going anywhere. The Jets won't do it, no matter what, because they're still saying he's still young. Ravens won't do it, um, although that is an interesting kind of scenario. Uh, he's Harbaugh's one that maybe. Bengals absolutely not. Browns won't do it. No way. Tomlin's going anywhere. So Harbaugh's an interesting case. If they, but now you're betting. Look, not from a betting perspective. Um, because you're betting on the Ravens just absolutely tanking it, which I don't think will happen. But Harbaugh's an interesting case because he's almost been out of the door twice now. Houston just hired their coach. That's not happening. Uh, Tennessee, he, Rabel's not going anywhere. Jacksonville, brand new hire. And then you have Indianapolis. Frank Reich, we'll come back to that. Denver, mm, yeah, brand new hire. Can't do it. Reed's not going anywhere. Raiders, brand new hire. Chargers? Hmm? ma. Meh. They probably won't do it, but if they don't live up to expectations, Dallas, we talked about the giants, new hire, Philadelphia, new hire, uh, and Washington. We, we mentioned the bears, new hire Detroit, Detroit could make a little sense. but Again, new hire, uh, green Bay, Minnesota. Uh, that, that's the thing with the new hires. You have to look at this as, uh, yeah, they're going to get a year, Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa. We know the situation, lots of new hires there. Arizona, the Rams, and San Francisco. So I, I agree with the odds, except I'd put Harbaugh there just because I've watched what the Ravens do with this guy. And um, consistently, year after year, it seems like he does a good job and they kind of have him on that coaching hot seat. doesn't make any sense. So let's look at the odds that they have. Ron Rivera at 8-1 to one odds. I can see it happening, but I think that Washington is in such a disarray as a franchise right now that unless Washington absolutely goes horrifically bad I mean, unless they go like a a three- or a four-win team, and even then maybe not, I I just don't see that happening. Frank Reich makes a lot of sense. People love Frank Reich, but I'm close with a lot of people in Indianapolis that the media doesn't love him as much as they are. Now, seven-to-one odds, those are pretty good odds. And Frank Reich has now a new quarterback. He doesn't have any excuses. He lost his defensive coordinator. I I have to squint really hard to find Frank Reich at seven-to-one, leaving town. I think that that's a tough one. I— I don't like it. I think that there's a better chance this year that Harbaugh would leave because his t- team tanks than Frank Reich would leave because his team tanks, and I don't think either team will tank. Pete Carroll at 6-1. to one. I, Come on. That, that, that That's a no way. Do not put your money on Pete Carroll at 6-1. Now, Pete Carroll may step aside, but Seattle management cannot take Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner away from Pete Carroll and then blame Pete Carroll. That's not happening. And, I, and I've been on record saying that I think that the Seattle Seahawks are going to be the worst team in the NFL this year. I'm on record saying that. I think they're going to be downright awful. Not firing B. Carroll. No way. Not with his track record. Not with the players liking him. Not with what they just did. They look like, if they already don't, they look like a terrible organization. They can't do that. The top two make some sense. Matt Rule and Mike McCarthy. Matt Rule has a cushion where you've never given me a quarterback. I mean, that's his cushion. But I can see things going drastically wrong in Carolina because of this. If Christian McCaffrey gets hurt again, which, look, he seemingly gets hurt every year, if Christian McAfee gets hurt again, that offense becomes futile. And in a division where Tampa Bay is going to be good again, we know that, New Orleans can be surprisingly good. If Atlanta gets something working and Carolina is looking in last place and Carolina has a three or four-win season and they totally tank, rules gone. I don't think there's any doubt. Now, you're betting on a lot of things there. You're betting on the fact with the odds-on favorite. You're betting on a lot of things to happen. You're betting on guys to get hurt, the rest of the division to play well, his team to tank. And you're also betting on management to overlook the fact that they've handed him Sam Darnold as a starting quarterback. Now, again, do we see a move? Is Baker Mayfield a Carolina Panther? Is Jimmy Garoppolo? And then if they come over, then do they fail? I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why he should be a 3 to 1 favorite. There's a lot of reason, a lot of speculation that you're taking in making him that favorite, but it makes a lot of sense because a lot of these things can happen. Oh, we go we traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, he only won 3 games. Okay, he's gone. I mean, we can see all that. And then finally Mike McCarthy at 5 to 1. He's probably my favorite to go. Now, we know that Jimmy likes him and Jimmy doesn't want to kind of upset the apple cart, but there's a couple of things with Dallas that the writing is on the wall. First of all, Dallas got worse in the offseason. Make no mistake about it. The Dallas Cowboys still have a lot of talent. Ezekiel Elliott is still younger than, than half the guys that we're talking about about being old, right? You lost wide receivers. You lost talent. You, you lost some. I think Dallas takes a step back. I think Philly takes a step up this year. Philly got increasingly better over the offseason. You can't deny that. The New York Giants got better over the offseason. The Washington Commanders got better in the offseason. So the three teams in your division got better. You got worse. So I can see Dallas having a problem. Plus the fact that it's not going to take a three-loss season to get rid of Mike McCarthy. It will take a three-and-six record, three-and-seven record to for people to start talking about it. I mean, that's the thing. The expectations for Dallas are very high. And the expectations for Dallas are always high. They want more. They need more. Jimmy wants more. So the expectations are sky high. Yeah, I would put my money on Mike McCarthy if you're going to bet on anything. If you're going to bet on anything, it's Mike McCarthy. Uh, Okay, real quick, I do want to talk about basketball where a lot of guys are opting out and not opting out and getting out. And uh, James Harden, although he's probably going to resign. But Kyrie was kind of the big mover and shaker here. Uh, along with R- Russell Westbrook, so we'll talk about Kyrie Irving. By the way, the comment: Normal people, um, uh, you know, keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. A eleven eleven. I don't know how to say that. It's a eleven eleven. So he opts into a thirty-six million dollar contract. Um, his only other option was go to LA for thirty million dollars less, and he's saying that. He's abnormal. He's going against the fray. Look, I've had a lot of fun with Kyrie, and I I am not a down on Kyrie like the rest of you people out there. Uh, But this is a ridiculous statement. It's a ridiculous statement. But at the end of it, who cares? He picks up his player option, $36, $37 million, whatever it was. Um, He spins it where he wants to stay. This means that KD is going to stay, which means that the Nets are going to come back, and the Nets are going to come back with big-time numbers, and the Nets are going to come back on a big betting number, and they're going to be the favorite there. And it hasn't worked yet, but I, I can see it working. You know, I've been down on the Nets. Two years ago, I told you guys that there's no way you should ever put a dollar on the on the Brooklyn Nets. I got hate mail at sportsgarden.com. I got hate mail. You got, well, there it was last year. Guys, do not bet on the Nets. Whatever you do, don't bet on the Nets. Now I got hate mail. Now I've gone the other way. Now I'm going, eh, maybe Kyrie has something to prove. Maybe KD can stay healthy a little bit this year. I'm kind of the other way with Brooklyn now, all of a sudden. Right? It's the market. The market dictates it. And then um, Russell Westbrook, he is planning to exercise his $47 million option. Yeah, I would think so. Most people are not going to turn that down. Uh, He's in the final year of a $200 and change million deal. I just, look, I don't think that he works in Los Angeles, but no one should be shocked that he just accepted this. I don't think it works in Los Angeles, but nobody should be surprised... Westbrook, it doesn't want to go test the free agent market. The thing is, we kind of knew he was coming back because they hired a coach that was specifically put on this coaching staff basically to be the Westbrook handler. And that's what it was. Don't look anything past this. That's exactly what it was, guys. He's here because of Westbrook. So if he's here because of Westbrook, why does anybody think you're going to fire this guy? It's not going to happen. It's just not a reality kind of base situation. So, no, I I mean, I'm not shocked at either one of these deals. I know there was a lot of Irving speculation. I'm not shocked. And I'm not shocked that Harden opted out. I'm not shocked at any of it. But to me, none of it moves my initial thought process. My thought process is Brooklyn can be good this year. If they get KD and Irving back and healthy, they're a dangerous team going into the playoffs, no matter what. They got to get people around them. I understand that. But they're always dangerous. My expectation is that Westbrook doesn't work in L.A. Puts up decent numbers, but L.A.'s on the downturn. None of this is different for me. Nothing has changed. Nothing. All right, I did promise you a conversation about some prop players uh, in Major League Baseball, so I just want to touch on a couple. You know, watch situational, guys. Watch situational situations uh, and, and and do your, your homework when you're talking about prop players. This week, Joey Votto went up against Kyle Hendricks. Joey Votto in his career is hitting just about 400 off of Kyle Hendricks, which you know that he's seen him many, many times. He's got 19 RBIs in his career against him. I mean, he um, bludgeons him. He's got five home runs. You look at prop plays like that. You want to grab things like that. Max Muncy against uh, Jermaine Marquez. He was something like 1-32 in coming into the game. He went 0-5 for in a game where the Dodgers hit all over the place. All right, these are spots you could find. So I want to give you a little insight to a couple of players here that maybe you could start making a little bit of money on. So, D.J. LeMahieu is back to being red hot, and I know he hasn't looked good early on this season, but he's back to being hot. We've watched the best of D.J. LeMahieu, and we'll never see an MVP candidate, D.J. LeMahieu, again. I don't think that that's possible. But we have watched D.J. LeMahieu in his career be an on-base machine. And a lot of these prop plays are total bases. A lot of these prop plays are runs. A lot of these prop plays are you can get hits. You can get on-base. D.J. LeMahieu has now reached base in 19 of his last 36-plate appearances. That's not games, guys. It's plate appearances. He's getting two, three hits a game. I mean, that is DJ LeMayhu at his finest. That's somebody to really pay attention to. And then you want a specific prop play, one of those unique prop plays. Yeah, I'm going to give you somebody to pay attention to. Now, it only happens once this week, and then it doesn't happen probably until next weekend. But constantly pay attention and circle the calendar anytime the Cincinnati Reds play a left-hander. Because Kyle Farmer... Has the third highest batting average against left-handed pitching in all of baseball at just about 390. Kyle Farmer destroys left-handed pitching, and it, basically to get a hit every night he's about 120 over bases. He's about plus 150, plus 160. Guys betting nearly 390 against lefties. You're talking about a 1. Point, nearly about nearly about a 1.2 OPS. That's third in Major League Baseball in OPS against left-handed pitching. So he's he is not a name that anybody's going to pay attention to. Yet he's top three in batting average against lefties. He's top three in OPS against lefties. He's getting on base. He's red hot right now after starting horrifically. He's got the second highest batting average in all of baseball in the beginning of June. So right now, this is how you could find a prop player. Kyle Farmer against left-handed hitting should be on everyone's board every single time he sees a lefty. Bar none every single time. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Enjoy the week as well as the 4th of July. I won't talk to you until after the 4th of July. Enjoy it. Have a lot of barbecue. Have a lot of fireworks. Have a very good weekend, everybody. I'm Tom Barton for a Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that.